at the time in history that Paul wrote this, Christians were on the run. Christians were on the run. Christians were on the run. They had no rights and they were in great danger. Paul actually wrote this letter while on house arrest in Rome. And despite the circumstances, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus describing the fullness and richness of life in Christ. Paul knew that if the Ephesians understood who they were and began to live in Christ, the world would never be the same. The same can be true for today. If we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understood what it meant to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, to be the church, our city and our world would never be the same. Never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. of this building that we'll be able to live strong and courageous for you. Lord, I ask you this morning to, to speak to each one of us through your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for the wounded, the hurting, the stressed, the broken, the scared, those that are living without peace. Father, for those that are grieving, Lord, that this morning that you would just soothe this place. Father, I pray for us, those of us whose lives are going well this morning. God, that we would be humble and look and realize that every good and perfect thing comes from God. Lord, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for the people that have joined us online. God, that we are united by an all-present God. And we thank you that you can speak to us here in South Korea, in San Francisco, in Miami, and other parts of Georgia. Lord, we thank you and we love you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this book of Ephesians. Paul wrote it, wrote it to the church at Ephesus. Wrote it to give us some instructions about this is what the Christian life is. And then as I said in the prayer in verses, chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is how you live it out. And so we're still in chapter 1 after four weeks in the first 14 verses because in that place is where God sets it out for us. In fact, in chapter 3, he said, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Now, for me, the question is, what are the blessings? You know, when you get a present, you're glad you have a present. You're glad it's wrapped and you're glad somebody thought of you. But you're not just satisfied with a wrapped box. You want to quickly open it up, rip it open, and see what's inside. Well, what we're doing now is we're opening up the box. We're looking to see what's inside. And we really are answering the question, what is or what are the spiritual blessings? 1, 2, and 3, he said he's given us blessings. 4 through 15, he's telling us what the blessings are. In verses 4, 5, and 6, he said one spiritual blessing that you have is that God the Father planned salvation before the foundations of the world when we look at the totality of Scripture. God blessed us. 
God the Father. In verses 7 through 12, he said that we are blessed through God the Son. Why? Because God the Son, when he went on that cross at Calvary, purchased our salvation with his blood. There was a contract that God wanted to make with humanity. And that contract needed to be signed, sealed, delivered. And Jesus did that. Well, today in verses 13 and 14, we're going to talk about God the Holy Spirit. You see, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Salvation comes from God. Not just one part of God, but comes from all of God. And we're going to see that God the Holy Spirit presents salvation to us. So God planned it, God the Father planned it, God the Son purchased it, and God the Holy Spirit presents it to us in such a way that we are drawn to a point of decision and salvation. One of the things that I really do like and love about studying is that God will remind me of things from my past, my childhood. Some of them I'm like, ooh, you could have held that. Others of them I'm like, yes, that's pretty cool. Thank you for reminding me, God. Well, I want to tell you about one as I began to study this passage this week. God reminded me of growing up at First Baptist Church Dawson, a very traditional, very conservative church, a church that would have done things the same way for the last 100 years. Probably still does them a lot that same way today. But one of the things that we always did in First Baptist Church Dawson when I was growing up, and it's a wonderful memory, is that we would sing two hymns, the ushers would assemble at the back, and at the end of that, as that hymn was ending, they would walk to the front, much like they do here at Mount Zion. They would collect the offering at the back after it had been collected. They would stand there, and when the organist looked and saw that the offering was complete, that the ushers were in their position, he would immediately hit the, the very solid note of the doxology. And with just out any prompting, everybody in the room would stand up and we would begin to sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we would sing it all the way through to the end of, Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then in wonderful unison, the church would say, Amen. Y'all want to do that? I have never led worship in church, but y'all stand up and sing it with me. Joy, get your microphone kind of close. <laughs> Join him with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now let's do it loud. Amen. Oh, y'all did wonderful. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that part, by the way, where you just cut it off. Oh, that was amazing. But let me tell you, the more I studied these verses and the more I have wrestled with that song, I believe that the author of that song studied these verses. That he looked and said, you know what, we must give praise to God the Father. Because in verse 6 he said, to the praise of the glory of his grace. He's talking there about God the Father. In verse 12 he said that we should be to the praise of his glory. He's talking about God the Son. 
And in verse 14 it says, unto the praise of His glory, the Holy Spirit. You see, the Trinity is never, the word Trinity is never used in Scripture. But the Scripture from the book of Genesis all the way through declares to us the doctrine of the Trinity. In Genesis 1.26 it says, let us make him and them in our image. God the Father, the us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When we look in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, which we know to be the, the great commission, the thing that the Lord left us with, He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 13, 13, He says, Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You know, I'll have to tell you, I really do not understand the Trinity. I don't understand exactly how it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't understand how God the Father sent God the Son and God the Father and God the Son are one. But I can believe it because my Bible teaches it. I can believe it because I've experienced it. And I can believe it because God says that He is true. Trying to understand the Trinity. We were talking in the office this week about all the the inadequate but best ways we can try to explain it. One way you can try to understand the Trinity is an egg. You can say the egg is a yolk, the egg is an egg white, and the egg is a shell. It is three things, but it is one. You could try to understand, even though, again, it's not adequate in understanding me. I am Chris, the son of my father. I am Chris, the father of my son. I am Chris, the husband of my wife. One person, three things. You could also understand, try to understand the Trinity when you think about water, H2O. Water is liquid. Water can be steam. Water can be a solid, but yet it is water. Well, God is God the Father. God is God the Son. God is God the Holy Spirit. But He is one being with three distinct attributes, with really three distinct jobs that he is there to carry out in our lives so let's take our bibles let's go and um, let's read i thought you know what i'm just going to read 3 to 14 again because it all comes together so ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3 it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption, that's Christ, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are on earth in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ 
should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Again, we don't have to understand the Trinity to appreciate the Trinity. We don't have to understand fully the Trinity to enjoy the benefits of the Trinity because what we know is that God has done this. He's revealed Himself three ways. Today we're talking in particular about what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the salvation of humanity. The first thing that we would see, the first thing we would understand is that the Holy Spirit awakens us. Let's go back to verse 13 where it says, In Him, that's talking about Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. The first thing I want you to see there is that we hear the word. It's an announcement that God wants a relationship with us. God wants you to enter into an intimate, personal, never-ending relationship with us through the blood of His Son. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to awaken us to, God, to the fact that God wants to work in our lives. He says, you heard the word of truth. John 17, 17 tells us what that word is. It says, thy word is truth. What word is true? The word of God is true. You can believe in, you can bank on, you can rest on, you can go into the valley with, you can go to the mountaintop with, you can sail the storm with, you can go through the valley of the shadow of death with the Word of God because it is true no matter where you are, whenever you are, in any situation, point of life, God's Word is true. He says, you heard that Word and I want to be sure you know what you heard. It's the Word of God. You heard it. But now Romans 10, 13 and 14 says, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe everybody in this room would agree with that, has heard it. And, and if you've not even yet accepted Christ, you're ready to acknowledge that Jesus is the answer. But listen to me. Look on at verse 14, because in verse 14 it says this, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, the scripture says you believed on what you heard. What you heard was the word of truth. John 17, 17 says that the word of God is the truth. And it says that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be born again. But it says they've got to hear. And how will they hear without a preacher? There are many times in your life as you grow in your walk with God that the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you to give a word of encouragement, a word of evangelism, a word of comfort to someone, a word of prayer to someone. The Holy Spirit prompts you as a believer to speak into the life of someone who may need to hear that word of truth. The Holy Spirit awakens the believer to share, but we're also going to see that the Holy Spirit awakens the person who does not yet know God to the truth of the word of God. So the Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is working. It is awakening us. I want to share with you another verse of Scripture about an awakening. 
in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says this, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren. That's Paul again saying, he's looking at his audience and he says, I am bound to give thanks to God for you. Beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through. And he says, this is how you're chosen to salvation, okay? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now, what is the truth? Again, we go back to John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. And what is the truth of the word? The word says that there's only one way that a person can be born again, and that is through the death, burial, and resurrection, the shed blood of Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He says, so I've delivered it to you. I'm giving thanks to God for you because you're in my life. And he says, as we're having this conversation and we begin to talk, God has from the beginning chosen you. Say it with me this morning. God has chosen me. He has chosen me. You got picked. We've already talked about that. God looked and said, I want you. I want a relationship with you. He says, and if you want to appropriate it, if you want to grasp it, if you want to live in it, he says it's a two-step process. The first step is there's sanctification of the Spirit. The second is there's a belief of the truth. You see, salvation fully provided by God, fully provided through His Son, Jesus Christ, fully presented through the God, the Holy Spirit, but then God says, what I want you to do is you must believe it. You must accept it. You must embrace it. And you say, well, why? Why Wouldn't it have been much easier if God had just said, Jesus died, now all oh, y'all get it. That would be amazing. But here's the fact about God. God desires to be worshipped. And you see, if he pre-programs us and makes us not have a choice about worship, really then it's not worship. It's just automation God does not want an automated humanity God wants a humanity that looks and says I have a choice to go this direction or I have a choice to go this direction and I'm going to choose to go in the direction of God God will honor your choice God will not make you bow to him God will not make you surrender to him God says I lay before you these paths I want you to choose me how do you do it? You're set apart by the Spirit and you believe the word of truth. So as we begin to understand this set apart by the Spirit, the sanctification of the Spirit, it's the divine aspect of your salvation. It's the divine appointment. It's that moment in time that you were sitting there and you woke up and you said, Whoa! I believe that God is speaking to me. Whoa, I believe that God is calling me to himself. Whoa, I've been in church all my life, and today the word of God just became alive. I think you had one of those moments this morning as you were preparing for worship. You looked and said, I've never seen this. He said, I'm the fragrant aroma, that I'm the diffuser of God's word to people. It's that moment. It's that set-apart moment. I'll tell you about mine. It was almost 40 years ago. I was at Epworth by the Sea. I've told you the story. And Glenn Shepherd was speaking, and 
He began to talk, and I would not have thought there was anybody else in that room. I thought that he secretly dismissed everybody and was looking just at me. And he began to say, God loves you. He began to say, God will forgive you of your sin, past, present, and future. He began to say that God wants to spend eternity with you. That God has a plan for your life. That God wants to intersect your life right here, right now, this morning. And He wants you to become more and do more than you ever would have imagined if you will just trust Him. And my ears, if they could have literally done it, I know they would have. But they would have been just like here. And they would have just begun to raise, to raise, to raise till they were full attention going, you're talking to me? You mean God of the universe wants to step into my life? Now guys, I had been in church all of my life. I probably went to church by the age of 15 more than most folks going their whole life because my mom worked there and I went there all the time. But that night, that day, that Thursday night, when he said, I want y'all to step away and just have a conversation with God and ask him, God, do I know you? And I got the word God out of my mouth and I knew I didn't. It was sanctification by the Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to me saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And you see, that was the entry point for me of salvation. Now, since that time, there have been many times, some precious and some painful, where sanctification of the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, has been, hey, you're a sinner. Hey, you blew it. What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Sometimes it's been that he drew me to himself and hugged me and said, it's going to be okay. And sometimes he chastised me with great discipline. But the Scripture says that God forgives, God saves. The Scripture says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Sanctification of the Spirit. This morning... Would you just quietly in this place say, God, speak to me as you have to others. You see, it's not just sanctification of the Spirit that draws us into this personal relationship. Because the Scripture says it's with the mouth we confess, it's with the heart that we believe. It is, it's a transaction, it's a God-man transaction made fully available by God. You have to be sanctified, it's a divine appointment. But you have to believe the word of truth. It's the human aspect. Hebrews 4.2 says the gospel preached did not profit them at all. Isn't that sad? Doesn't that hurt you? Doesn't that break your heart? That people would sit under the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That life would be offered to them. It says but they, it did not benefit them at all. They've heard it. It's been presented. And they said, not today. Not today. Not today. You know, I'm going to do that, but not today. The scripture, if you study it, if you dissect it, if you look into the totality of it, it says that there may become a point in time and place where the Spirit of God, the divine appointment is removed, and you won't have the opportunity to respond. The scripture speaks of the hardened heart, the heart that is unable to respond because it is said no and no and no. Can I tell you, today is the day to say yes to God. Today is the day to say yes to salvation. Today is the day to say yes to surrender. Today is the day that you say, I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours.
And God says that I will draw near to those who will draw near to me. He honors the choice to step away. He honors the choice for you to step close to him. He loves it when we respond to him. It's worship. So it is there. It is the awakening of the Holy Spirit. He awakens us to the work of God. And how does the word believe? To those who believe, it is life. You hear the truth. You believe what you've heard. Okay? And then you embrace what you've heard and you believe. Now, what do I mean by embrace? In the last couple of weeks, I'm sure that many households, many places, we've had Easter egg hunts, right? All right, so we put up an announcement. Come to this location at this time, and we're going to hide Easter eggs. So we've heard the announcement, right? We believe the announcement because we show up with a Kroger bag or an Easter basket, correct? And then when they say, on your mark, get set, go, what do we start doing? We run to go find the eggs. We have embraced the announcement. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ has stood up and said, for you, I will die. I died on the cross at Calvary. I spread out my arms. I was hung on a cross. I was buried in a tomb and I rose again on the third day. And you somewhat have heard it and you somewhat believe it because you're sitting in this room right now. So what is the next step? You embrace it. You say, okay, Lord, I've heard the truth. I respond to the truth. I respond to the truth by surrendering my heart to you. I respond to the truth by living my days for you. I respond to the truth by saying, not my will, but your will be done. That is the sanctification of the Spirit. He's speaking to you. It is the belief of truth that you embrace it and you begin to go live it out in your life, in your job, in your education, in your relationships, in the people you come into contact with. The Holy Spirit awakens you. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't feel awakened, you need to cry out, God, wake me up, wake me up, wake me up. Davis, my son, can sleep through a bullhorn, a train whistle, a semi-truck, thunder and lightning, and you slapping him upside the head. All at one time. I'm not, I'm not talking... I mean, his roommates go, dude, turn off your alarm. That's his alarm. Some of us are just like that. God is sounding the whistle. God is clanging the cymbal. God is sending the thunder. God is sending the lightning. God is doing whatever he can to wake us up, and we're over there going. He says, wake up, you sleeper. Wake up. Because the day of the Lord is here, but it may not always be here. The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit's role is to awaken you. We respond. John 1, 11 says, as many. How many? As many. How many is as many? A whole lot. As many as have received him, to them he gave the power 
to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Receive, believe. The work of the Holy Spirit is to awaken you. It's not only to awaken you, the role of the Holy Spirit is to seal you. Go back with me to the passage, verse 13. In Him you also trusted. Now remember this, the Him is Christ. You heard that He did this. You believed it. You embraced it. In Him you also trusted. After you heard the Word, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you embraced it, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now if I take that word seal, it's the idea of a contract. It is a finished transaction. It clearly teaches that the moment that you are born again, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are a child of God. Listen to me. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get all of God. You get God the Father, you get God the Son, you get God the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come to you in stages, He comes to you in totality in that moment. Please hear me. God's not holding back. And He's asking you not to hold back on Him. It is a finished transaction. It is there. You were sealed. God set, the, set forth the terms of the contract in the word of truth. God has signed the agreement with the blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then when by faith you receive His message into His heart, you sign the agreement. Before Tyler came here, he worked at a car dealership. People would come onto the lot. When they would come onto the lot, they would say, I want to buy a car. He'd say, which car? They'd say, that car. He'd say, okay, here's the price of that car. They'd say, I don't want to pay that much. He would say, let me go talk to somebody. And finally, back and forth, on occasion, they would reach an agreement on a number. And Tyler, as the salesperson, would have to sign that agreement and say, we own the car. We own the car, and we want to make it available to you, and this is what it'll cost you if you buy it. When the person reviews the, the numbers, looks at the fine print, they say, I like the deal, I'm going to sign it. God wrote a contract. He said, you are separated from me by sin. And here's the terms of the contract. If you will believe on my son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross at Calvary for your sin, I will give you salvation. And by faith, you believe. That's you signing the contract. This morning I ask you the question. God has done his part. He's presented the contract. He signed it with the blood of his son. Have you signed the contract? Have you believed this morning? It's a finished transaction. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this. The foundation of the Lord stands sure having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. God says when I redeemed you. I put my seal on you. Now in another day and another time and sometimes just for ceremony, even today, people had, was, had what was known as a signet ring. They would light a candle, melt wax. They would take their signet ring and get it. They would, take that, they would put that wax on what needed to be sealed and then they would stamp it while it was still soft with their signet ring, ring and it said, it is sealed, it is mine, it is as I want it to be. God took the signet ring of his son, Jesus Christ, and he stamped your heart. And he said, you are sealed. 
You belong to Him forevermore. You see, it's not just a guarantee of a finished transaction. But it's the guarantee of security. Another thing that God reminded me about my days at First Baptist Church Dawson as a child and sitting there and some days restless and some days listening, but obviously always soaking it in. We would sing a song, Now I belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to me, not for the passing of time, but for all eternity. We belong to Him. You see, it's a finished transaction, but it's also a guarantee of security. If you seal something, you're stating it's secure. You're stating, as I said earlier, that it is, it is as you intended it to be. When Jesus was buried, the Bible says that they rolled a stone in front of the tomb, remember? And what did they do? The Roman soldiers. They sealed it because they didn't believe that the followers of Christ wouldn't sneak back and take him out. So they sealed it so that they could prove that he was there. The problem is their seal didn't work. The truth is God's seal does. He says, I redeem those that come to me. Another interesting place to understand this idea of a guarantee of security comes out of the book of Revelation in chapters 7 and 14. In Revelation 7, it talks about 144,000 out of the tribes of Israel that are going to survive. Um, that's the word I want. Thank you so much. Tribulation. I, could, I had resurrection. I had restitution. I had a lot of things, but I couldn't get tribulation out of my mouth. Um, that they would survive the tribulation. God says, I'm going to do this for my people. And when you look at Revelation 7, it says, this is what I'm going to do. When you look at Revelation 14, you'll notice not one was lost. All 144,000 are there. God says, for those that I choose, for those that I set apart, for those that believe on my name, I started you. He who began the good work in you, the scripture says, is faithful to complete it. Take it to the other side. How long does that seal last? Ephesians 4.30 gives us an answer. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by where you are sealed until the day of redemption. You cannot be lost. Once you're found, you are there. You are perpetually found. It's a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit awakens us. The Holy Spirit seals us, completes the deal, and guarantees that we're secure. But also look at this. The Holy Spirit satisfies us. Now I think y'all actually talked about this a little bit this morning in transitions where the kingdom of God is now and the kingdom of God is to come. You see, the kingdom of God is here because Jesus came and he died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again. He says, I will redeem you right now. But the Holy Spirit is also a down payment to something that is to come. It's earnest money. You know what I'm talking about? You, you're out shopping for a house or you're out shopping for a car. You like that car. You don't want them to sell it before you can work out all the ways that you're going to pay for it. So you say, here is my earnest money. I'm going to put this down because I want you to hold it for me. 
The Holy Spirit says that I am the earnest money. God has done the work. God has purchased you. But he hasn't done the full work because there's going to be a day that he is going to redeem you in all of your glory, in his glory, and that there will not be sin, there will not be sickness, there will not be pain, there will not be sorrow, there will not be tears. There will not be grief. You won't wake up tomorrow and commit the same sin that you were sick of yesterday. And he says, I'm the Holy Spirit. I am the down payment for that. So yes, we get it. Yes, it's there. Hebrews 6, 5 says, We have tasted the word of God and the powers of the age to come. It's not only have you got it now, but you've been able to taste what it's going to be on another day. What's to come to us? So every time you see God redeem someone, that's just a foretaste of what will be. When you see someone heal, that's a foretaste of what will come. When you see God bless your life, that's a foretaste of what will come in fullness at another point in place and time. To which nobody knows, by the way. The scripture says nobody knows the day, the hour, the place, the time. But it is coming. So the Holy Spirit awakens you. Hey, God is alive. God is not dead. God wants to work in your life. The Holy Spirit seals the work that God has done in you at salvation. And the Holy Spirit will ultimately satisfy the great work of God resurrecting us and drawing us to himself in perfection. God the Father planned it. God the Son purchased it. God the Holy Spirit this morning is presenting to you the living God that wants to work in your life. What do you want to do with Him today? You see, I'm so grateful that when I was at my lowest, <laughs> while I was still a sinner, the Scripture says that God found me. The Holy Spirit still presented God while I was a sinner. When everyone else would, would look and say, oh, we want to walk out on that. Jesus stayed. Jesus drew. Jesus stayed on that cross until he could ultimately say what? It is finished. What was finished? The power, the grip. The penalty of sin. Who was it finished for? For all who would believe. Sent Jesus while we were still a sinner. When we were a mess, God stepped in. So I have to ask you this morning. Do you believe... And if you believe, are you ready to receive? And if you believe and you're not ready to receive, then would you list for yourself the things that are holding you back? Not for me, but for yourself. God is here. God is calling you. This morning we're going to have the opportunity to um, experience believers' baptism. At the end of the service. We're going to have the opportunity in just a moment for you to respond to the truth of God's word.
Some of you will want to respond publicly. Some of you are very comfortable responding privately. There's not, a, there's not extra points for being public, and there's not less points for being private or however you want to say it. But I would encourage you to do this, whether it's right where you are or right here at the front, or whether it's in the water that's already been warmed. Kevin, by the way, I put my finger in it. It is good. It is good. Or whether it's in a, in a baptism-type setting. Who needs to respond to the Word of God? Everybody in this room. How do we respond to the Word of God this morning? For some, it'll be a response to salvation. Jesus, come into my heart. I want that personal relationship. For those that have already responded that way, it will be a, here's my life, Lord. I want to live it for your glory response. I want to surrender it to you. I want you to speak to me. I want you to work in my life. For some, it's going to be, Pastor, I am tired. (laughs) All the fight has left. Would somebody just pray with me this morning? And you know what? There are going to be people that jump up that are ready to pray with you. If you've got questions, if I gave you more questions than I did answers, there are people that are ready to start answering the questions. Don't be afraid to ask them. Respond to Jesus. He does not fail.